Thank you for tuning in to Sales Enablement, the podcast. This week, Dr. Howard Dover joined us. Dr. Dover is a director at the Center for Professional Sales at the University of Texas and is also the best-selling author of The Sales Innovation Paradox. If you are in sales or sales enablement, you will want to listen to this episode from start to finish as we have a super insightful conversation about the state of sales in 2023. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Reynolds, the co-host of Sales and Enablement, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm the sales side of the equation. Crystal, what the heck are you doing here? I am the enablement side. I like to say it's the better half of this duo. It's debatable. And your favorite enabler. So, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great to see you, Crystal. Good to kick off the new year with our second episode of the year. The first episode was a one-on-one. Uh, and this now this episode, we're back with our guest, which is probably more fun than the one-on-one. We're getting boring <laughs> when I just speak yeah. to you. Anyway, we have a great guest today, Dr. Howard Dover. How, Dr. Dover, I'll let you introduce yourself and then we'll get into it. Well, I, I can't help but mention the imposter syndrome moment that we just had. The, the two of you feel a one-on-one somehow wasn't valuable, but... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. We just think anybody else's voice is much better than ours. So anyway, we'll leave that there and let people realize that sometimes we just don't see the value in who we are, right? Anyway, Howard Dover, I'm at the University of Texas at Dallas and founded the sales center there 10 years ago to this year, actually. It's cool in our 10th year celebratory moment. And when I arrived at UTD, they had two sales classes. We now have, what do we have? We have six classes on the docket, two in the MBA, three in the undergrad, actually four in the undergrad, so seven, six, seven classes now. Back then we had 30 students in a sales class. Now we have over 300 butts and chairs a semester, so 600 a year. And so one of the top 10 programs in the country, don't ask me who the other nine are because they probably think they're number one. We have been number one a few times, so I try not to say that we are when we earn it. We're not when we don't. And so there are actually sales competitions. There's actually an NCAA tournament of sales that occurs twice a year. It's brutal. It's ranked. It's crazy. And we've won it once and been in the final four only one time, but the Sweet 16 about 12 times in our existence. So yes, there it really is real. It is, we're all frenemies out there. I've got hundreds of colleagues, 60 of 60 serious colleagues with sales programs around the country. And they form my own institute so I can better study disruptors, trying to understand the paradox and how we break out of it and trying to document those who are doing it and what are they doing. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Awesome. Isn't it? Like I, I work with some of the universities, the university programs, and it really is an amazing environment. And for us, it's also, a, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to work with that type of clientele, because obviously it's different than working with businesses, but it's amazing. Like the competitions are awesome and uh, yeah, it's great. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing feeder system and all of the programs that I'm working with and the one that you just described, there's so much value in there and it's really like how many other programs can you take where you actually are graduating and then stepping into a career almost maybe even the next day. This is incredible. I think what's amazing is Florida State did two studies on this and they actually looked at, so the first study said, okay, if I took a university trained sales student, 
again, somebody had just found at a career fair, what's the difference? And that study said the difference would be number one, they stay longer. So we, right, we deal with attrition, which is an amazing issue in sales. We have an attrition problem when we're doing early level hires, especially collegiate hires. So if you take a sales program student, they actually want to be in sales, go figure. They actually chose to study sales. So they actually want to be in sales. Whereas the career fair person, they fall into sales. So they're like, oh, I'm not sure I want to stay. Second one is they onboard faster. And so, yeah, those are just amazing things, right? Lower attrition. Now, this is the kicker study, which is amazing. So they actually, there's this concept, experience is better than collegiate hire, right? No, no doubt. Everybody would say experience is better than collegiate hire. And so they actually took a study with two different companies. Long, so there was a longitudinal study, very cool study. And what they did find, indeed, the experienced person outperforms the collegiate hire. However, at 18 months, there's a crossover. At 30 yeah. months, at 30 months, you ready for this? 30 months, 2x, 3x, 2x in the consumer market, 3x performance in the B2B market. So who wants 3x? And your ignorance about experienced hire versus collegiately trained hire. Yeah. Collegiately trained hire is coachable, right? They actually feel this is a, hey, I was coached. I, I think this is an iterative process. I, is there, there's a science to this. I've had a professor. I've had these moments where I've been coachable. So I'm coming in and I want to learn. I want to grow. And actually the issue is their growth path is phenomenal. Now, if you hire a UTD grad, which we do not have a study on it, you'll actually, we'll actually outperform your experience, but that's another moment. Uh, hey. Now, yeah, I'm sure. I have, Dr. Dover, is what is their exposure to sales enablement while they're in your program? Do they have any exposure to enablement? Okay, so let's talk. I like to talk with enablement. I like to call it little S and big S. So let's talk little S which is enablement is that I, and I know I get into fights with enablement people, but I like, I think it's important for us to have the discussion. Little less means that I support, I support the function and assist the VP in executing a strategy. That's little less. Big S is I help build the strategy. So then the question, because if we're talking little less, a little bit in, in digital prospecting, in our master's classes, we bring in the concept of enablement. But if we're talking big S, it's all the way through advanced, it's all the way through digital, and it's all the way through our master's program. It's about strategically looking at the go-to-market strategy, how to be effective, how to be efficient, how to apply technology in a modern world. So yeah, then big S, I think we're absolutely all over enablement talking about the strategic that. vision of where the field needs to go versus where the field is today. Yeah. Whether in my mind, whether, however you choose to coin it, but really the, the, the foundation of enablement is there exactly what you're talking about. Sort of that mastery of go to market and all of the pieces that, that are a part of that's going to, that, that's incredible. That's going to serve them so well. And I think by not, maybe by not pounding on the term enablement so much, it's going to, it's going to keep their mind open. They're not going to get pigeonholed. They're going to have these amazing skills that yes, and a, a lot of enablers do have, but that, that can serve them well in, in a lot of other positions in the rev work too. So I love that. Yeah. We live in an agile world. And so any enablement person, any leader, so let's come up to executive leadership, right? So let's talk about if I'm the CSO, I'm the CRO and 
I'm empowering my enablement person to be a collaborative person who gives me insight about where we need to go, not where we are and where we're executing, but literally be part of my visionary force, then I think we're really going to have a world-class sales organization. Now, Crystal, I think you and I would agree that those are rare, Yeah. right? I mean, that, that kind of a setup is they're award-winning, they're Stevie winning, they're right, they're world-class, they have low turnover, they're great places to work, their leaders in, are in high demand, and they read. Then they read, they train, they're constantly, they're consummate learners, they're wanting to figure things out, and they're adjusting their strategy to the market movement. And those are phenomenal people to work with. They're phenomenal people to talk to. I didn't get smart because I'm smart. I got smart because I hung out with them for the last 10 to 15 years. As a lot of these companies came to Dallas, I began to realize there's really two types of organizations. And I call them, you know, I tell my students that 90% of the companies who call you to Dallas to look for talent say, hey, I got a truck. And what I need to do is I need to bring that truck up to your school and I need to pull some cattle and I need about a hundred cattle. If you just put those hundred cattle, it doesn't really matter as long as they walk and breathe, it's good. And then we're going to take them to, to the farm. We're going to slaughter 90% of them. And then we need to bring another truck over because only five of them are going to survive and actually be productive. We need another source. So will you be a source of our cattle? And I'm being graphic and intentional folks. And so I tell this to my students, I said, you've got to realize that 90% of the jobs you're going to be offered is, I think you're replaceable and I'm okay with slaughtering your career, your dreams, your hopes, and your income. So you better watch out, be strategic, understand who you're talking to, ask go-to-market strategy questions. One of my favorite things of all time, I came off of a keynote. And this guy executive came up to me and they were relocating a thousand headcount to Dallas. And his opening statement to me was this, you know why I hate UTD students? And I was like, whoa, (laughs) right. I'm I'm coming off of a stage keynoting and I'm like, all right, I don't know you. And he's like, you know why I hate UTD students? I'm like, no, they just took the energy all out of my body. And I said, well, do tell, because if it's something I got to train them on, if they're disrespectful or, hey, tell me the story because I want to, I'm agile to the market, right? I'm trying to say, let me listen to you. And he said, well, first thing I don't like about UTD sales students, he said, they're not sure they want to be in sales. And I said, okay, fair enough. That's fair criticism. So the second thing, they ask me things like, what's my go-to-market strategy? What's my tech stack? How's, what's the pipeline? Am I straight cold call or is it nurturing leads or what kind of training? What kind of this? What kind of that? He said, I get this sense they don't want to just cold call every day. And I said, I said, so that's why you think they're bad. And he said, yes. He said, you know what? I said, I'm proud of them because what is your go-to-market strategy? What is your sales stack? And do you really just make people cold call? And he said, oh, you're the problem. I said, yes, I am. I walked away. (laughs) I love it. That's great. And by the way, our last episode, I almost used that graphic analogy as well, describing the market that we are in now. And I think I didn't go that I didn't go that far. It was the first time Chris and I had spoken in a while, so I didn't want to jump in on There's a lot of enablement people that follow this, so you got to talk the way it is. That's for sure. (laughs) It's a good segue here to the next question, and that is, let's talk about the state of sales today from your perspective, Dr. Dover. If anything, we've been in this 
really weird moment. In fact, unfortunately, we've been in a manic stage. So if you've ever studied economic cycles, and anytime we've had a severe economic event, there's usually a mania, then there's a crash. And every time before a crash, we usually can identify that there was a mania. And then there's a shock. Usually there's a shock that occurs in the, man, in the manic phase. There was a report put out by Jocko over the holidays on, Jan, on December 22nd, right to, for me, I celebrate Christmas. And so it was three days before Christmas and Jocko drops this 32 page manifesto, epistle, whatever you wanna call it on the world and says, all right, I'm gonna go on vacation. <laughs> so, now he teased it a few days before. I like to say when Jocko breathes, I wanna hear the breath because Jocko is just a smart guy. I think where we're in the world, because we're in a manic phase and the manic phase doesn't make any sense to those of us who study what's going on. When some people, it's a lot of voices around the country. You listen to a lot of voices, you start to understand where the market's going. Jocko's a voice that I feel like I've always got to touch that heartbeat and know what he's thinking. And luckily he puts his stuff out for free. So he drops, I'm calling it a manifesto because it was brilliantly researched. It's really his inner mind and thinking. And he basically declares that we are in the, we're, we've, we're post-shock and we're, in, we're now in the panic phase. We're in the crash. So now we're going into the panic phase. Now here's what's scary in his description. Most organizations won't know that we're in the crash until Q3 of this year because VC dried up in Q3 and Q4 of last year to the tune of a 90 to 95% drop. If you look at the graph, it is a classic manic. And then there was a pinprick. Now you'd think the pandemic, I was waiting for the pandemic to be the tipping point. And actually it was the double down on stupid point. So unfortunately we hit the pause and then we just continued to power on almost doubling headcount across the board from an already unsustainable path of growth and sales yeah. headcount. And then all of a sudden the VC dry up, which, and now, so here's where Right. Here's the shock. The shock was the Fed move, the Fed move. And of course, I guess you could say the war in Russia, but the combination of factors on a global economic phase, we now are sitting into a very strong retraction in the interest rate environment, which is impacting the VC input. And most of our field, uh, let me revise the SAS field. So let's just take SAS for a moment. The SAS field has been breathing just hyped up air on VC capital flow. And that flow has just wiped out yeah. in core. Now, most companies are planning without that vision. And that's why that December 22nd drop. Normally I read stuff and I'm like, yeah, that can wait. Yeah, that can wait. Man, I was reading that. The next three mornings I made it all the way through and I marked it up and I, I don't know where Jocko was. I don't know if he was up in the mountains somewhere. I don't know if he was in like Costa Rica or he was having fun with his family. Actually, I think he did go on vacation with the family somewhere and he was unreachable. I'm like, dude, that you gave me homework. I, that's That was brutal, brutally honest because it describes how, and he declares the era of SaaS is over. 
in the way that we've built it and known it. Now, how many go-to-market strategies assume you have all these SDRs, all this budget, especially in the sales stack space? Now, draw it back. Why are we seeing pullback from all the major tech companies? Because it's spiraling. All these small companies not buying their technology. It's a downward spiral. Now, we have all these headcount reductions. Every one of those is a SaaS seat reduction. And then it's going to spiral down. By the way, the manufacturing cycle is still in supply chain weirdness. So they're kind of staying open right now. So everybody's going to have this moment around Q2, Q3 to go, oh my gosh, what's going on? Now, if you've read, if you've read Jocko's report from December 22nd, you go, you're ready for this. But who knows Jocko? Only a few people. If you know, you know him and you follow him. If you don't, you're like, okay, whatever. And so I love on CNBC, they're talking about elongated decision cycles. You know what that means? A couple of things. Now, don't get me wrong. Elongated cycles are elongated cycles, but I think it means that we haven't trained salespeople for a lot of years. We've just been able to be lucky because the buyer figured it out and asked us to buy. We suck at selling, right? Our really ability to get training out there isn't really where it needs to be. Our deployment of technology is not really good but we've deployed it, but we're damaging the customer with it right now. And the customer is all of a sudden saying, we really don't have money, so we better start scrutinizing everything we buy. So now all of our weakness is coming to bear. So we get elongated life cycles, buy cycles, we get revenue drags, and we don't really understand. And now all of a sudden, the fact that we don't know how to use our technology, we don't know how to train our salespeople. Our salespeople were trained as being SDRs. We moved them to AEs and they got lucky because money was flowing. Now money isn't flowing. You got to sell now. Yeah. It's, you you got to sell now. We were just talking about this the other day, Dan, in our one-on-one. But before I go there, tell anybody who's listening, because I know I was thinking this, where can they find Jocko's report? Where can they, or where can they find that? Is it, was it just on his LinkedIn Profile yeah, he, he put it out on LinkedIn. When we release this episode, I'll tag him and he'll tag it. It's uh, I, it's 34 pages and the first 15, I made my MBA students read it and we actually discussed it last night. Awesome. And, uh, and by the way, it's deep. It's not something, it's not something you can just read and go, oh, you got to sit and just, what is he saying? Yeah. And if you're not a little bit anxious, I don't, you got to read it again or call me, call Jocko. And because he makes his living. His winning by design, their primary client is the SaaS space going to the unicorn. And he's, hey, I had a great run. And it's like this death of my company memo that says, so I had a great time. So now I got to be a better man. I got to be a better company. We've got to learn better things. And I'm not worried because I see what's going on, but I'm worried for a lot of my friends and everybody who's planning that this and don't doesn't understand that. VC's gone. It might come back, but we're right. We're in the crash. Now what comes next? And this is what's sad and crystal of this. A lot of, there's a lot of pain in the sales enablement community because with those layoffs comes a corresponding drop in enablement, right? And you know, this, it's the panic stage we're entering and we will be in the panic stage unless you're strategic. If you're at the strategic level, oh my gosh, you're so essential right now. Yeah, 100%. We spoke about this during our one-on-one, Crystal, didn't we? It was like, if and I was saying, and it was me 
speaking personally as a sales rep that every opportunity that comes into my pipeline, regardless of the size or how qualified I think it might be, I need to treat it as an enterprise opportunity and then work the deal as if they, as if it was an enterprise deal because of that elongated sales cycle, because everything has changed. And we, this episode could be three hours long because we could <laughs> keep talking between the three of us, but I'm in Tel Aviv, I'm in the bubble here. I'm in the bubble in the bubble. And I think that the model, the SaaS model based on predictable revenue, it just got completely out of whack. SDRs, BDRs, AEs, in a PLG motion, what is going on here? The headcount is skyrocketing. It's completely unnecessary, but it's because somebody read a book somewhere. It's thought this is how they did it at Salesforce. So we're going to do it the same thing here. And to your point, like we've done it to ourselves. And who's, yeah. if you're not, if you haven't, if you don't know, if you're not a professional, to, to your point about 90% not coming out with the, those companies that we're telling you, that's where, that's the stage yeah. that we're in now. And I think too, Dan, when we were talking about the level of sales skill, right? If you're used to playing in the enterprise field, but yet you have minor league skills, guess what? It's you're it's going to be a lot harder because of, you have officially been forced into going from those minor league skills to the MLB, like professional grade skills, you need to have them in order to succeed throughout this year. And so it's putting a lot of pressure on, I've heard from some enablers, it's putting a lot of pressure on enablement teams. Like, how do I do that? And it's, can you really at this point? Or is it just like, can you really do anything? Like it, this is exactly why I think a couple of years ago or not even a couple of years ago, but maybe a year ago, you had those really progressive enablement teams that were like, you've got to be strategic. We need to get enablement to be a strategic function and it's got to show business impact, right? You've got to show that business impact because by the time it gets to this point, if you are not here, there's, no, I personally feel like there's not a lot you can do. You got to just hold on tight and write it out. I think there's, once again, I think enablement in this particular moment, enablement has to shift to the management function. Frontline sales managers are the place you've got to put the money and the time and the enablement assets. This concept of huddles is huge. I don't know. I picked this up from Eli Cohen's book, Saleshood Around Huddles. Great concept because huddles allow an org to stay agile which means you're doing your win, you're doing your loss, and you're doing it on a frequent basis. So you're bringing the team together and you're celebrating the wins and get the, you're celebrating the losses because you have to walk through the loss to realize that, hey, luck is going on when you think skill is what, what is developing because you can do everything right and lose the deal. You can do everything wrong and get the deal. That's called luck. One's bad, the other one's good. And then you can skill your way into a more consistent performance but part of it is the discovery in a group setting that says, hey, I did this and I did this and I did this and they ghosted me. It was perfect. Someone else says, I did this and I did, I only did one thing and they bought. Well, that's luck. So then you have to start going and then you start cross-pollinating best. You know, what's working in the moment? What's working in the moment cross-pollinates with huddles. Huddles are cheap, easy to implement easy to train a manager to say, get your team together several times a week, let them huddle, let them discuss the good, bad, the ugly, but it can't just be, it can't just be celebrate my wins today. It has to be celebrate the wins and losses. It's in the book called Saleshood. Get the book. Eli does not pay me any endorsement fees. 
Oh, he's fantastic. I, <laughs> him. I've been following him. Completely get it. So I that's why we use sale. We use huddles in our classrooms once we go into live selling almost every i think it's every other week or every week we do huddles because it's the most impactful learning moment to skill up that we can ever get is to say oh i'm not saying it that way or, oh i guess that's a bad or oh i guess i am doing it right i just need more i just need more reps i'm doing the right thing or I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I need to slow down, skill up, and then speed up. And this is a self-awareness moment. It's so powerful. It's so inexpensive to roll out. And at a moment like this, it's so essential with the market and just sheer movement. Then you're in the middle of an earthquake. You don't go, hey, let's have a strategy meeting and figure out what to do. Hey, what? why are you staying alive over there? Yeah. And then you run to where it works, right? And then you the, then you discover it's you're in a foxhole moment, you're in discovery moment. You got to be live and you don't have time to codify or codify what's working, but you can synthesize it and get it moving in the org. Beautiful concept, love it. Eli is a brilliant man. So I'll stop saying Eli because if I say it more than five times, then I will ask for an endorsement deal. Yeah. yeah. First, first of all, I want to thank Crystal for moving on to the baseball analogies from the football analogies, because the season has officially ended. There is no there such thing go. as the NFL. There's no such, the NFL is done. It's finished. So let's go Jays spring training in a couple of weeks. To your point with the huddles, um, we do something with second nature and I'm going to shout out Russ, Russ Sack, my manager. We do the KWL every week. What did you know? What are, do you wonder? And what did you learn from the past week? That's our version of the huddle, the KWL. It's once a week. Everybody's got to do it. We all see what we all know, wonder, and learned. And like, it's super valuable, super, super valuable. So Dr. Dover, we've been talking for like almost 30 minutes. And I didn't even mention that you're a best-selling author. The book is called The Sales Innovation Paradox. And I'd like to ask you, what is the sales innovation paradox? So what happened is, I think we all know that the tech stack exploded over the last five, 10 years, right? Five years has really gotten heavy and we've really had amazing leaps in technology. And so in every other field, when you have amazing leaps in technology, you have productivity gains, right? So what, that, what we would look for in a sales organization is quota attainment numbers up, head count down, right? So we would be able to do more with less if we were able to properly deploy technology. In the sales field, we've done exactly the opposite on an aggregate level. So, And we'll be doing some study on individual company level because we have the data over the same time frame with the Institute. We'll go and dive into that data and figure some things out about company. But at the aggregate level, we actually did reduce the headcount of salespeople. So we actually had a 20 percent in the last five years before. Um, so I'm going 2021 data. So we're a little bit dated. We had a 20 percent headcount reduction from 2015 in the role of sales, according to LinkedIn's data. You'll get to that in the book and I could, I could break it down for somebody. However, in the same time frame, we had a 13x increase in SDRs. So we cut our salespeople and we magnified the number of SDRs by 13 times. So a 1,200% increase 
in SDRs over the same five-year period. So if you look at that in aggregate, we actually grew headcount in the midst of a technology explosion. Now, so if you've got 13 times the number of people reaching out to your customer, now realize we have the capacity now to 10x to 100x the amount of work that one SDR can do. And we have 13 times more of them than five years ago. Just a question, how many more buyers do we have? At best estimate, if we use the CEB number of 6.8 and the new number that's rolling around is dozens. We have dozens to 20, okay? So maybe we have a 2X of the buyers. We have a 13X times 10 times 100. We have a 130X to 1300X capacity to annoy them completely. And that's what we've done. Yeah. So if you look at everything, efficacy of effort is dropping off on almost every touch point component. So what did we do? We mechanized it and we scaled it. And if yeah, I talked the first for the enablement friends, we talked about this in the very first enablement conference. I talked about the coming dust bowl that was going to occur in the sales space. And we are now in dust bowl style conditions. The ground is not, it's not vibrant, it's fallow. It's been overplowed and it doesn't like to produce anything. That's the buyer's the soil. The buyer is not being nurtured. It's been depleted of everything because we've been pounding it and pounding it and we're getting less and less from the efforts we're going to market with. That's the paradox. How did we get there? Oof. <laughs> I think it's time for a drink. I think I need to move on from the water to something a little bit stiffer <laughs> after this. <laughs> this could literally go on for hours. I just, I, every time you say something, I'm like, I have just a question. I'm like, how did that happen? What was the, what was the trigger? Why did this sort of, you know, massive thing happen like what what would cause for leaders and just c-suite to be like yeah this is it this is the right answer what triggered it i think at the end of the day it's because we could i think at the end of the day if you study the dust bowl people who created the dust bowl did so in the aggregate they didn't do it independent right it was i'm the farmer i'm plowing my field i'm getting a huge return and then there was this moment that a drought came and when the drought came that overplowing in the field. I, so I started getting a reduction in my performance. So I actually did bumper crops because you had to do that to survive. You had a number to hit. They had to get revenue out of their wheat. And so they, they double plowed. And then they used disc plows. They mechanized. The thing that really caused the Dust Bowl was mechanization. Everybody was plowing the field with a single plow and then mechanization occurred. It was the disc plow and the disc plow had 32 discs. So you could plow 32 rows at a time. What they didn't know at the time, that while they could plow 32 rows at a time, it didn't plow deep enough. So it actually took the topsoil, it was to, the rows were too close together. And so it actually caused the topsoil to be dissipated in such a way that it literally flew away. They didn't know. Does that make sense? They didn't know. Yeah. And until several years, 
And then all of a sudden, everybody did it at the same time because they were making bank when right. they did it. When you look at the turnover of leadership under a year, according to Gong, I'm not sure I buy the statistic, but it's there. The, the people they surveyed, they're turning over every year. This sounds like this. Listen, we found the disc plow. I'm going to go plow that field. I'm going to get out what I know. If I walk into your org, and they say, listen, I know how to build a machine that's going to generate massive revenue. I'm going to get, I'm going to do the predictive revenue run. I'm going to come in, I'm going to build the SDR, I'm going to build the AE team. And by the time the whole thing goes south, I'll be long gone and building the next one. We call that a suitcase farmer. That's yeah. what happened. Suitcase farming happened all the way back in the Dust Bowl. Study it. It's in the book. I don't want to go to it here, but what we need to be thinking about is how do we operate in an environment like this? Correct, correct. But, and by the way, like, I think we're running short on time. Do you have a few more minutes, Dr. Dover? I have a couple of minutes, yeah, let's. Okay, great. But by the way, Crystal, how amazing is this conversation? Honestly, it's honestly one of my favorite episodes that we've done. So I, I, See, I, I, know, I, I knew we'd be buds. We just haven't ever met. <laughs> yeah, we just connected. I'll tell you what's happening here. We've gone outside of the bubble, right? Like uh -huh. this is your, what's going on and everything that I've gone through and that I've seen going back to the start of my career in SAS eight, eight years ago, the whole ramp up to where we are today. I never heard somebody explain it and put it out there the way that you just have, cause, and we're in it when it's hard, uh -huh. when you're in it and when you're in the system, it's really hard to acknowledge that you're in it because you're in the eye of the storm. And I believe, trust me, that gong data. Like it's great marketing, by the way, like they're definitely a plus market marketing organization, but it's true. I see it. I've gone through in eight years sales leaders and you know, it, it's true. And we see where they go after and we see where they came from before. And, and I'm in a small market here, but it's the same, it's the same everywhere. And you asked, how did we get here? And that's part of the reason, right? With this, it's a self-perpetuating model that the end of the book talks about the different sources of inertia and why we're stuck where we're at. And so the challenge then becomes as leadership. If I come into a company and they ask me to interview three to four companies, I can identify within about four to five interviews where, what's the inertia, what's going on, what are the issues that they're up against and why are they stuck? Why are they stuck where they're at? Because inertia is happening to everybody. So it's the market is moving. You don't get to control your market, everybody. So that's the challenge. When I was the farmer, I farmed my field, but I didn't think about the ecological damage I was doing to the ecosystem. But when the ecosystem, when the dust bowl happened and there were these dust storms, nobody could do anything. Everybody, people died. People died. Dreams are dying today. The hopes and dreams of people, people who moved to a new, they moved six months ago. They moved to a great job somewhere. They just got laid off. That's the same thing. Yeah. People's dreams are dying. So then the challenge becomes, so let's turn this to the positive because we're in the depressing stage. Yeah. So let's, where can we go in this horrible condition? There are the same motion done in a modern way, harnessing the technology actually experiences multiplier effects. We're experiencing 10x performance, 8x performance in these conditions. And that's what my institute is out there trying to document. I'm documenting it at individual levels. There are disruptors everywhere. They're harnessing the technology in a way that their org cannot rep. And it's fascinating to talk to them about how they move. 
What do they do? They do it differently. They have to be supported or there has to be a degree of allowance of their leadership to allow them to go rogue. And yeah. this is where sometimes in the enablement space, we're looking for compliance. Compliance may be a strategy of yesteryear. We need to be looking for breakout. And it's not around scaling best practices because the that's a manufacturing principle that is breaking down huge in this economy and in this moment. So the way in which we go to market is going to have to be discovered. It's looking at things in a modern fashion. How do I harness technology to augment the human potential, not automate it away? The buyer wants a human that actually helps them, not yeah. acts like a bot. And most of our salespeople have botted themselves. They act like a bot. And chat GBT is gonna is gonna bring us to a double down on stupid, but we're gonna do it. I'm, we're gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. I'm excited. And I almost can predict where 90%, once again, we have a 90-10 problem. 90% of the market is going to, we're gonna, my goodness, generative AI is gonna allow us to plow the field 10 times in a year. Oh my goodness, let's go. And so right when it's gonna work, that's the problem. It's going to work. But to what effect? It's going gonna, it's gonna to damage the org. So the way we break it is we find the modern motion that resonates with two groups of people. Number one, it resonates with the buyer. You meet the buyer where they're at and you're relevant to them and they're hungry. Oh my goodness, are they hungry for somebody who actually knows how to sell in a modern way? Who gets them, who understands them, who isn't pitchy, who isn't robotic, who thinks, who analyzes and understands. Now, you develop that, you're going to generate revenue in exponential terms. And then guess what? VC still wants to earn some money. So VC will run to your door and you'll be fine and you'll be able to dominate markets because most people are stuck in a non-market dominant strategy. So this is all in the book. and But listen, this is serious. The reason I wrote the book is I was doing keynotes pre-pandemic and I was witnessing this. I was watching orgs scale to 300 people and then fire them all, including the leader who accomplished the job within 18 months. I witnessed that so many times. I said, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but people keep repeating the same thing in my market they come to Dallas, they ramp up, and then they slaughter everybody's dreams. And then I had a few other companies that were like, hey, I only need one to two salespeople this year. I was like, yeah. that's not a good partner for me, right? I, at first, I was like, you don't need all my cattle. One or two people. And then I started waiting, wait a minute. What does that mean? And by the way, we're willing to pay lots of money for one to two great people because they generate phenomenal revenue for us. And I was like, I got to listen to those people. So for five to six years, they're the only, I call them world-class sales leaders. They're brilliant. They don't have attrition. They have huge market potential. They deploy technology amazingly and they break out. They're the best places to work. Everybody wants to work for them. And then there's everybody else. And that's the world we live in. And where do you want to be? The future always wins. And I hope that people made it to the end of this podcast because the last two minutes were definitely uplifting. And I think that the salespeople out there need to realize the ebb and the flow in the market. 
And if you push yourself to be the best, like you're going to have a great career. Chris, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been a bobblehead this whole, this whole time, just going like yeah, this the whole it's time. It's given me so many different, it's given me so many different things that I'm like, Ooh, I got to read that article or Ooh, I've got to research that. Or, ooh, I need to rethink how I'm doing this throughout the en entire conversation. So it's been absolutely fantastic. And maybe follow-up episode, Dan. Follow-up episode coming soon, maybe. Yeah. There's well, a lot, there's let, let's do some, as, as, sorry to talk over you there. Let me get, let's do some research. That's the Institute. And when I come up with some fun stuff, I'll reach out to you guys again. And so that we can share the, where I'm out there trying to find people. I found several, I've interviewed several and, there's some really amazing stories about people who have just, they're doing amazing things. This, it isn't rocket science, but it isn't what we're doing. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Now the obvious question, Dr. Dober, where can people find you? LinkedIn is my home. Email is my foe. So <laughs> LinkedIn is the place and you can, the book is on Amazon, both Kindle and book. I know a lot of people ask me for the audio. I, I did the self-publishing route. And to be honest with you, there's not a lot of good economics in the audio. So there's a lot of salespeople that are like, hey, can you get it in audio? And maybe, I don't think I've got a, I don't think I've got the voice for radio. And, and I'm, I do have a day job. That's a, I have a day job and then I have a side gig and then I do this. So it's, I wear a lot of hats. Yeah, I've also heard you have a few kids. I do, I do, I have six children. They're all grown, but I don't think that changes the world. I think it complicates it. <laughs> yeah. Big kids, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Take me back to the diapers. <laughs> okay. So again, I hope to our listeners is still with us because this was an amazing episode. Dr. Dober, thank you so much for your time. Crystal. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, so for our listeners, we're going to be putting out some of this great content that we got from this episode and we could also be possibly doing a giveaway for Dr. Gilbert's book. Yes. The first person, let's do this, the first person to contact me who references one item from the podcast I will send you something. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank okay. you. All Everybody, right. thanks again.